0: chapter 8, you have to go over a little bit further to Acts chapter 6 this morning. Lord willing, we'll be back in Romans uh, soon. Luke writes, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, A complaint by the Hellenists arose among the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you join me in a time of prayer before God's Word, Father? Uh, we come looking at a very, a very important step in the history of your New Testament Church, Lord. Uh, the appointment of these first servants these early deacons, Lord, of the church. As we look to your word today, I pray you would open our hearts to see the, the your purpose, Lord, in organizing your church biblically in such a way that it furthers your kingdom here on earth. Help us towards that end, in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's a little over uh, two years ago that uh, God birthed Redeeming Grace Church. Some of you might have been president, present when... Uh, redeeming grace church was not redeeming grace church instead it was a vision we call it vision cody and we met at the coffee shop in a february night that was 20 below zero Uh, over the months god slowly took that vision that we shared on that evening and began to bring bring life to it bring faces and people like yourselves into forming and framing a new church here in cody So over the months, God has turned a vision into a reality. He swung the doors wide open and He said, Come, trust me, and watch me as I build my church here in Cody, Wyoming. And so along the way, God brought many of you different points in time and He was adding to His church as He was growing His church here in Cody. And what we've been doing for these last more than two years is building a a foundation. And it's been a slow process because we want to make sure we built a sure foundation, a solid foundation on which you know when, when the winds of f- false doctrine begin to blow and, and the adversities of, of, of church life begin to take, take an impact, we still remain firm in, as a church. Uh, so we've been through the foundation of the Word of God, the foundation of sound doctrine. We've looked at the foundation of having a constitution, which we believe is in line with biblical truth. Uh, we look back, and and God has been faithful to us. I mean, we had just recently had to go back and review, review all the finances as we prayerfully consider bringing a man on to be the next pastor of the church. And and I, I don't know, has, has your tone changed at all, uh, Tim? Or you're still at uh, solid? Is that where we are? Okay. Well, we're going to keep solid. God has been faithful, and He's kept us solid financially over the these years. Uh, He's been faithful to us as a church. He saved souls. He's been growing us, maturing us in in the faith. Uh, Some of you would say, I believe I'm growing more in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's met the needs of this church, I mean, beyond imagination. I mean, you just don't start a church uh, during COVID and then shut the doors down and uh, wonder, you know, how's God going to provide for us? But he did. You know, even during those dark days of, of COVID, and, uh, and part of the early vision of Redeeming Grace Church was that God would bring us to a point of establishing a strong biblical leadership in the church. We didn't want to be quick. We didn't want to be quick in the process. And so we know, we know there's two offices in the church. There's the office of elder and the office of what? Deacon. Deacon, right. And so the Bible speaks of elder in a plurality. So, you know, here we are limping along with one elder when, when God would, I think, Prefer that we have grow to the point where we have two elders or more, and also that, uh, that there be deacons in the church to carry out that important, those important duties. Uh, but God hasn't left us limping along, even though we've had one elder and no deacons. You know, I have to just compliment every one of you for being a, a church family that has come and, and been servants. I mean, we, we might not have been as organized as God wanted us to be. But even in our disorganization, so many of you saw needs, you rolled up your sleeves, you were quick to jump in, be a part of, serve, and it's just been a blessing for God, God to use you in the ministry here at Redeeming Grace. Now, in God's providence, uh, you know, we're now in the process of prayerfully adding two in his time and his man, to a co-elder, so we're seeing progress there. And we're also uh, today uh, we're seeing progress in the fact that God has called out two men in our church to serve in the uh, ministry as deacons, uh, Peter Hogue and uh, David Larson, uh, two men that will be taking up, Lord willing, the yoke of serving us, being servants here in the body of Christ. Now our schedules have been crazy. I've been I've been out sick with COVID for four weeks, and uh, just now getting some strength back to be up preaching again. Um, You know, Dave Larson's up in uh, North Dakota, and you've been out in Tennessee, and, you know, our paths are just going all over the place, so to get us all together uh, to the point where we would be uh, installing the two deacons at the same time, I decided what we'd do is we'd begin today with the one who's here. And Lord willing, Dave Larson will be here next week, and we'll be having an installation of Dave Larson next Sunday. We just didn't want to wait until everybody's all together, because we might not ever all be together again. Uh, First, I'd like to focus our heart on the minds of the teaching of God's Word in the area of deacons, just so we can be reminded of how important this office is in the church. Uh, We're going to look at who the first deacons were, in the passage I just read. Uh, what was their duties? What's the ministry of a deacon? And lastly, the blessing that comes from not only being a, a, a deacon, but the blessing that comes to the church that has faithful men of God serving as deacons. So, open your Bibles, if they're not already there, to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Now, you'll know that the early chapters of of, of Acts, Acts 2, we see the the beginning of this first-century church in Jerusalem. I mean, we see thousands of people miraculously saved as the Spirit of God poured out during Peter's preaching, and all of a sudden God was adding to the church thousands. And then we, you see in Acts 2, He opens up the front doors of that little church, actually quite a big church, but He opened up the, the doors of the church, and we began to see all the things that God was doing and what a church should be like uh, by their example. Boy, those are exciting days. I mean, it's one thing to be you know in the church today here in Cody. This is exciting. It's always exciting to be in God's church. But back then, it must have been really exciting because, I mean, things were happening. I mean, thousands are saved and thousands are converted. Uh, the apostles are being persecuted, and they're thrown into jail, and then God lets them out, and, and, and they come back and testify. The church is inflamed with boldness. God is adding to the church daily such as being saved. and They're full of praise and thanksgiving, and they're selling their goods and departing them to one another and sharing all they have because of their mutual love for one another. Those were exciting times. Things were going real well in that church until we come to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And then we find out it's a church just like any other church, full of people like us, sinners with flesh. And all of a sudden, there's problems that arise in the church. I mean, have any of you ever been to a church where there weren't problems? I mean, mean, that wasn't our goal in, in planning Redeeming Grace Church because we knew there would be problems. We wanted to be a church that we knew how to deal with the problems and, and resolve the problems that would arise in the church. And that's exactly what they were doing in Acts 6. The church was growing. People are being saved. You think everyone's excited and they're praising God. And then 6 says, one. Now in these days, when all that was going on, when the disciples were increasing in numbers, the church was growing and being added to daily, a complaint came whining began to take place in the church, disgruntledness, uh, disgruntled bickering in the church. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's the problem that existed. Now it's one that we're not real familiar with here because we don't have Hellenists and Jews in our church that have been converted to Christ. But what we do know about is internal division that can take place in the body of Christ. Most of us know about grumbling in the body of Christ. Most of us have heard people uh, ram, you know, rambling on about all the problems in the church. But in this case, and by the way, after many years of ministry, I found that most problems in the church are relational. Do you realize that? Occasionally there's some doctrinal issues, and those doctrinal issues will divide but usually, if there's a problem in the body of Christ here at Redeeming Grace Church, it's usually a result of relationships going af- And then they, everyone get, throws up their hands, they walk out the door, they slam it, never come back. And you know, it goes on and on. And this is a church just, just like all other churches, relationships. And apparently, you had the Greeks that were converted to Christ. You had Jews that were converted to Christ. These, these two ethnic groups are worshiping together. And now they're, they're arguing with one another. They argued outside before they were saved. Now they're saved and they're arguing inside the church. And because it looked like the Greeks were getting the short end of the stick. You know, they were the ones that, seemed like the Hellenists, the, the Jews, were, were giving the Greeks the short end of the stick. Both Greeks and Jews were converted. The Greeks were second-class Israelites, so to speak, Christians. And one of the important ministries of the church from the get-go, and it should be ours as well because there's so much teaching about it in Scripture, especially when we get into the pastoral epistles, is the ministry to widows in the church. Do you realize that? I mean, I know it was really big in those days because there was no Social Security. Husbands died early. There was, there was no provision, easily from family or, or any kind of assistance. And so the church quickly came in and began to minister to the widows of the church. And they've always had a very high place in the body of Christ. And we as a church, as we grow in the days ahead, should always be prayerfully looking towards ministering to the widows. Uh, this was a loving church, a serving church. They cared for the widows of the church. That's good. That's good. But in the process, it became bad because they began bickering over this very thing. And there were two problems. The, the one is that they, they felt that the, the widows of the, of the Greeks were being neglected. I don't know in the amount of food they got or how they were being cared for. or In other words, they felt like they were being neglected and the widows of the Jewish converts were getting the best treatment. Greeks would be a minority in the church. The Jewish converts would be a majority of the church. So, what's happening here? What's the solution? How do you resolve conflict in the church? What about the apostles? Can't they come in and wait tables and make food and give it to the widows of the church? Could they step in and begin to serve? They could. I mean, the apostles were tempted to pick up and do the work themselves. After all, they wanted to resolve the inner church squabbling that was going on. And By the way, what happened there happens in every church. Whenever there is squabbling and disagreement and bickering in the church, guess what the evangelistic power of that church is like? Zilch. It goes down. They were adding to the church daily, such as being saved. Now this conflict comes and everything starts coming to a spiritual standstill. Even the salvation of the lost. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is there to be, there's to be more servants. And uh, the church was going through growing pains, and all churches go through growing pains. And what the church needed was for the servants to step up to the plate and began to minister to the needs of the widows in the church. So we see in Acts two six two. 6-2, <coughs> The twelve summoned the full, this is called a meeting of the church, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples, the disciples here are the believers of the church, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. we got a problem, we need to solve it, church, here we are, let's come up with a solution. That's what the apostles did. And what we need, they said, is some table waiters. We need men in the church that will stand up and wait on tables. Perhaps cook food, uh, serve the food, make sure everyone has ample food, wash the dishes when we're done. We, we, we need some men to come in and, and, and spearhead this, this ministry. Prayer linked to word. They, they wanted to be involved in praying, they wanted to be involved in the word because those two were essential to the church as well. They're involved in intercessory prayer. But the church limped along, they had this meeting. The twelve called the church together and, let, and said, "Leave us to the word." And then, verse four, look at it says, "But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word." So, what we have here in this passage are, is really the beginning of the first deacons of the church. So, you know, some of the commentators call them the prototype uh, deacons of the church. They're not; it's not like an office really that's being set up here, like we have office, an office of deacon. It's more like a special ministry of men who we would see being the kind of, the, as the church continues to grow, becoming the really the first deacons of the church. In some ways, the apostles might be viewed as the prototype of the elders of the church. You know, the apostles, they laid the foundation, they're gone, and now there's pastor-teachers, there's elders, they're given to the leadership, that is the preaching of the word, teaching of the word, and uh, and then you have These men being prototypes of the deacons today. When you come to Acts 14, you'll see finally there'll be elders are finally being appointed in the church, but that's later on in the story of Acts. So these seven men would be prototypes of what we would call today's deacon in the church, even though the word deacon is never used in reference to them. The tradition of calling them a deacon, by the way, goes back to Irenaeus who argued in favor of these seven men being deacons in the church. God's plan was for the church to have two office, elders, deacons. Elders were men who would, what, oversee the ministry of the church. They would lead and feed the flock of God. And then you have the deacons who co-labor with the elders, not separate from but co-labor with the elders to really carry out the practical ministry of the church, which is so important. I mean, you, you, can, you can lead and feed and, and pray and do all of that, and the church goes nowhere because the ministry has to go forward. And so God has developed another office, which, which are the, the deacons of the church. These men, they're listed by name in verse 5, were appointed to be table waiters. By the way, what is a deacon? Oh, that word deacon, it's an interesting word. It simply means what? Servant. Uh, diakonos, it's a servant, a minister, a helper, a table waiter. That's what a deacon is. It's, uh, by the way, it's a pattern of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus was a, de- was a deacon. He's the first of all deacons. Galatians five thirteen, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only not to do use your freedom to as an opportunity for the flesh, but through through love serve one another. And we see the example of service by Christ Himself, even as He bowed before His own uh, uh, disciples and washed their feet, serving them. We're going to see when we come to First Timothy three in a minute the, the qualifications for a deacon because. You think, well, to be a table waiter, you really shouldn't have much in the way of qualifications, do you? I mean, anybody can wait tables. Anyone can can cook a meal. We're going to see, though, that no, there were were qualifications attached to this ministry. And by the way, James later tells us in James 1 that uh, perfect religion is ministering to, yes, the widows, but also the orphans. There's always going to be those in the church who have needs. And so the elders are going to be involved in and overseeing ministries that meet the needs, serve the needs, first of all within the body, but also outside the body of Christ as well. Uh, I mean, the, the needs are endless. Um, I, I don't even know if we can budget for all the needs that, that might exist. But those, those in the body who get sick and infirm and are unable to go to work, their mortgage payments do, who's going to minister to them? Who's going to serve them? storms come and houses blow away. We've had recently in the last year or so, we know of a family where not only did their house burn up, then after their house burned up, it blew away. Another storm came. I mean, can you imagine that? First, you lose your house to fire. They have nothing. Everything is gone. And now they're starting to build and put it back together again. And then comes a windstorm and takes that and just blows it all away. And so our church was able to come alongside. They are outside of our body. But we we're able to come alongside and, and to help minister to some of their financial needs. Uh, food and shelter, distribution of funds. Uh, as, as the ministry grows, the advent of a building, uh, there's, there's a planning and care of a building. If any of you own a house, you know about this. I mean, it isn't like you just walk into your house and it takes care of itself. I mean, the, the pride of ownership is, wow, now I've got to paint it and maintain the yard and and uh, keep the carpets clean, and the plumbing from backing up, and the electrical being repaired. And, you know, the, it just goes on and on and on. And so you all of a sudden, a church uh, has a building. Well, who's going to help maintain the building and care for the building? I mean, really, a church is like a, a mid-sized business. Do you realize that? I mean, you don't, we don't want to look at it in those terms. It's a spiritual house of God, but But it's like a medium-sized business that needs people in place to be able to help the church function in a very smooth and healthy way. This extends to the needs inside the church. And as we're able to, it extends to needs outside our church, into the community at large. You know, way back when we were, back in Powell, we were, uh, uh, Katrina blows through, uh, through Louisiana. And then an earthquake uh, goes through Haiti and destroys it, Port au Prince. You know, our deacons were really on, right, right on board, and, and what they did is they, they, they put together a team, a team from the church. They organized it. They went to the hospital here in, uh, in Powell, who donated boxes and boxes of boxes of bandages and medicine. It was all packaged and shipped, and it went to Port au Prince and they went there to minister to the the needs of those who were were suffering and bring the gospel to them. Uh, Same with Katrina, people whose roofs were ripped off, and and they were putting roofs on houses, or people whose houses burned down in in Clark. We want to have a ministry that reaches, yes, first of all, within our own congregation, but also one that, that, that has deacons that are able to structure and organize relief efforts to those outside our own congregation. That's why the, the the office of deacon is no small ministry. It's as big as the vision of the church. And it, 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 it's, it's a powerful ministry. It's one who gives himself to the service of others. And That's why the ministries of mercy, the, the, the ministry of mercy or compassion, really go hand in hand with the gospel. It's not like we go out and just help those financially. But there's always a gospel message attached to it. We do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He's done for us. And uh, one one man that I I love his ministry in China said this to me recently. He said, The ministries of compassion, and that's what a deacon is involved in, the ministries of love and compassion is the needle that threads the gospel through the heart of man. And so it's not just a, a message that goes out you know, just cold message, believe and be saved. It's the love of Christ that goes out and the deeds of love and mercy that go with it. And you put those two together, and it's the power of the gospel that changes hearts and minds forever. Remember I said that Jesus was a deacon of deacons. Romans fifteen eight says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant for the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Luke twenty two twenty seven. For who is the greater one, Who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves, Jesus says. In Matthew 20, 28, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. That was the ultimate act of service. The deacon of deacons, Jesus Christ. So God didn't design the the elders of the church to do all the work of the ministry. Uh, to lead and feed, yes; uh, to be servants, yes. The ministry demands uh, of, of the church are huge. Uh, the, the church grows; uh, as the more it grows, the demands multiply even more. A church building is a gift of God, but it requires great stewardship. Finances and accounting are a big thing. I mean, we, we're we're blessed to have men in the church who understand these things in a professional way that help us. But you know, as far as deacons being accountable for the finances of the church, accurate counting of your gifts, uh, accurate uh, putting together a budget once a year and making sure the budget is, is properly uh, being uh, the giving according to the budget. Uh, that, that's, that requires a lot of work. And this is why God's given to His church deacons. Uh, In fact, I don't even know how we were able to carry out the work of this ministry for the last two years without deacons. I mean, it's just been, it's, it's just, really, it's just you and, and, and it's just us serving God. But I mean, we have been limping along, and I'm encouraged to this extent. I believe that when we get these two men in as deacons, things are going to begin to change around here. We're not going to just be limping along and serving and trying to fill in where we can. There's going to be a vision set. It's going to be direction set. There's going to be implementation strategies, and then all of a sudden, now we all got to get involved in the area of service as as that vision is clarified for all of us. I know many of you have been such great servants. I mean, audiovisual. I mean, this is not like we got said, oh, let's let's sit up and structure audiovisual. I mean, kind of organically, people have come together with a heart of service. We need to help. And they did. Uh, greeting people. We need to help. And they did. Cleaning up after church and picking things up and so that when the eventists come in and check us out, we make sure that we haven't left it in a way that's that disrespectful, but it's clean. Locking up, making sure the doors are locked. Setting things up, putting things down, putting books up, displaying books, treats. All these things they just don't just happen, they don't just come down on parachutes. But the the amazing thing of our church is they were all done without a lot of structure. It was all done kind of organically. But hopefully with some structure behind it, it'll even be better in the days ahead. Spurgeon said this, Deprive the church of her deacons, and she would be bereaved most her valiant sons. Their loss would be the shaking of the pillars of the spiritual house and would cause desolation on every side. Thanks to to God... Such a calamity is not likely to befall, befall us, for the great head of the church, Jesus Christ, in mercy to her, will always raise up a succession of faithful men who will use the office well and earn unto themselves a good degree of great boldness in the faith. And I think that those are just great words from, from Spurgeon that uh, may these two men be the, the first of many that would follow and be at it too. Uh, the number of deacons in the church. I want to quickly go over the selection process. Uh, I know it's kind of late because we already have appointed these men, but uh, <laughs> let's, uh, the selection process is important. And this is what I want you to think about. Why would, such, why would there be such high qualifications for men who are table waiters? Think about that. Why would God do that? I mean, some churches just hire people off the street, take care of it. I mean, why in in God's economy there's such high qualifications for deacons? We see a a kind of an insight there in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men, first of all, of good repute, secondly, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So the apostles told the church, go out from amongst yourselves, find seven men. These are the qualifications. <clears throat> and this is a kind of a pattern we've been following here at, at uh, Redeeming Grace. We ask you to look among yourselves to see if there's men who meet the qualifications uh, and you you could see them as being the, the deacons of, of Redeeming Grace Church and submit their names. And I know over the last couple of years, a lot of you have been involved in that process of sele- uh, you 've given names and pulled out names and uh, and notice it 's not just a minute large it 's not any meeny, miny, mo let 's let go of joe it 's totally different. Look for men with these qual- qualifications and we try and do that once a year. I ask you to do that for elders, for deacons. Look among yourselves for men you believe would would meet these qualifications and then what we try and do as elders then is go around and talk with each person whose name submitted it. See if they desire that office or don't desire that office. See if they do meet the qualifications or don't. And then go from there as far as submitting their name to you as, to vote on, ultimately. Requirements or qualifications. Therefore, brothers, look for someone among yourselves. By the way, there, there's a qualification you've got to be a believer. Pick from among you, disciples, and the disciples were believers, uh, do you realize there are churches and denominations that take basically the duties of a, of a deacon and they hire people full time to do that from outside? Yeah, it's just you know it's just work around the church. We can hire somebody to do that. Less well, contrary to what they did here, look from among yourselves. Don't go to Jerusalem and hire somebody, but look among yourselves. Notice that the the deacons here are they're they're, they're men. They're, they're, there's a gender spe- specific. Men, the office of servant who is made up of men. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, uh, seven men of good repute. Good repute is a good report. That is, a, there's no disqualification uh, glaring in their life. Uh, they're well-liked in the community. They're, they're men of honor. They're men who are honest. They're men who have t- integrity. Men who are not selfish. Uh, not perfect Men. Not perfect men, but, uh, you know, your, your, your deacons can have some... You know, you know Pete. <laughs> you know, you, you can have some rough spots, right? Uh, you can sand those off over time. But uh, not perfect men, but, but men who are honest, full of integrity, unselfish, men of good report. And then also men full of the Spirit. Obviously, a reference to being believers, believers. Uh, and displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. You're going to see love in their life, joy in their life, peace in their life, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, long-suffering, self-control, gentleness. And they're wise. You know, they're able to make wise decisions. They they know the Scripture. They apply the Scripture in such a way that they, there's wisdom in, in, in the decisions they make. Uh, they, they, well, also, it implies a biblical knowledge there as well. If you're going to be wise, it implies a biblical knowledge or understanding. And so they did. They picked out the men that we talked about. They picked out Philip. By the way, Philip was the evangelist. So here, here he's not only is he a deacon; he's the one that's going out witnessing all over the place. And he was. And we see Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We see Prochorus, perhaps the first, the bishop of Nicomedia, and. He was martyred at Antioch, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, Nicholas uh, who was a proselyte of Antioch. Not much of these, about these men outside of this passage. But they all played an important role in the foundation of that early first century church. Verse 6 says, they, they, they sat before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. And we're going to be doing that with, with Pete in just a minute. We're going to be praying and laying hands on him as he embarks upon this ministry at Redeeming Grace Church. Now, if you want a more detailed description of the requirements, you have to go over to the office itself in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and starting at verse 8, and, and you'll see a list there. You know, you'll see, first of all, we, we've been through this before. I'm not going to really exegete this, these words. But, I mean, first of all, you're dignified. Serious-minded people. doesn't mean they can't tell a joke once in a while, but they are serious-minded people. They're not double-tongued, it says. They're not two-faced. They don't speak out of both sides of their mouth. They're not given to much wine. They're not drunkards. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. I'm going to put a highlight here because I think this is important. One of the areas that deacons are to serve is in the area of the finances of the church. They're the ones that are touching the money and they're involved with the checkbook and keeping balances and making sure everything is spent the way it was purposed to be spent. And so you can see why that, that God would put a, a requirement in here that the deacon not be greedy for dishonest gain. Because if that's their motive, if, if they're money grabbers at heart, that's a dangerous place to put a man in the church of God. When I was practicing law in California, uh, I had a First Baptist Church called me up. He said, we got a problem, and I was wondering if you would help us work through it as a lawyer. And the problem was they had a deacon in the church that over about 20 years had slowly absconded about probably $20,000, $40,000. They weren't sure how much. And they said, what do we do with this guy? But it was a little bit at a time. He figured out a way to get a little bit at a time out of, out of the church. And so how do we deal with him? And so we worked through that with them. S Scotted tens of thousands of dollars, and uh, this is not unusual. Um, I know of two or three churches very close to our to us not in proximity in miles, but I mean doctrinally that have been through this issue, and so it 's important it 's very, very important that that we have men that uh, are not greedy for dishonest gain also verse 9 in 1 Timothy 3. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now here's one for you. Think about this. Have a discuss this over lunch. What connection would there be between a man who's being called to be a table waiter in the church and being sound in his doctrine? Why would he have to know theology to be a table waiter? We're going to see you really can't separate the two. You can't separate truth from service. You know, wisdom of the Word. You know, one of the things about a deacon that I've learned over the years is deacons will go into the homes of people who have needs. And one of the things they can do, is, besides bringing the need, is to bring encouragement, hope, and truth from the Word of God. And so if they're sound in doctrine, they can do like we were doing in Sunday school today and begin to encourage people because they know, theologically they know, the attributes of God. They understand the emotions of man. They understand uh, the solution for, 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 uh, for sin. I know it, over in Powell, we had several that we were counseling over there who had financial problems. You know, their marriage is falling apart. Why? Because they just open their checkbook up and they're just, I mean, it's, it's a mess. They didn't understand finances. They're into debt. Now they're, I got marital problems. And so part of it, yeah, we're going to help to meet your needs, but, but there's going to be some wisdom attached to it, and we're going to counsel you financially. And so you have to know, understand doctrine, understand proper understanding of truth to, to bring that truth to those you are helping and encouraging. Verse 10, let them also be tested first. Did we give you a test? By, did I give you the test for a deacon, or did you pass that test? Was it true, false, or multiple choice? You remember how that. You know, there are, really are no written tests that you give someone to be a deacon in a church. Uh, that's not the point here. The point is to be tested by what? Really, probably by fire. I mean, it's, it's to be tested by life. I mean, you've, you understand that uh, uh, you don't learn to be a deacon by being a deacon, you're a deacon. And we see that you're a deacon. You're a servant because we see you're a servant. And because you're a servant, we're going to now appoint you to the office of deacon. And so we see that uh, they've been tested. They, they understand service. And they've been really carrying out the ministry of a deacon, even though they have not had the title or the office to go with it. And then, the, then we see the wives likewise. Now, here's the one that uh, is interesting. There are good churches that have deaconesses. In other words, they have lady deacons. And then there's churches that don't have lady deacons. They just have male deacons. And so if you were thinking in terms of a lady deacon, this is your go-to verse. Uh, It says, their wives, this is the translation here, although that's not necessarily the only translation, their wives or women, likewise, because it could be translated either way, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so depending on how you define the word for the Greek word there that's translated wives in the ESV, some of your translations might say women in verse 11. Uh, Which one is it? Are these qualifications for women deacons, lady deacons? Or are these separate qualifications for, for the wives of the deacons? In other words, if you're going to take a deacon, the wife has to also have some qualifications to go with it. And there's, there's some strong arguments on both sides. Uh, and you can let society maybe drive you one way or the other. Uh, for example, if you just look at the text, you'd say, "Well, wives are wives women, either one. You can flip the coin. The word can be interpreted either way. So now what do we do? Well, we get, good hermeneutics would take us to what? Context. got to go to the context, what, what's being said here. So, if it's talking about women, lady deacons, uh, then uh, why aren't there requirements for lady elders or, you know, for, for lady elders? Uh, why just for lady deacons? You know, Phoebe, though, is mentioned to be a, uh, a deaconess and uh, we're going to get to that someday in Romans 16, but uh, a lady by the name of Phoebe Some of your translations will say deaconess, verse 1 through 2. Uh, But also we saw the same word is translated to be a what? Servant. So she could be a servant. doesn't necessarily mean she has the office of a deacon. So that's one of the arguments you'd argue in favor of the side of uh, a deaconess being a lady in the church. But the arguments inside of her being a wife, these are qualifications for the wife of a deacon. Uh, I think, first of all, contextually flow from the fact that why, you have to ask yourself this question, why would Paul? So here he is, he's going through 1 Timothy chapter 3. He's talking about all the qualifications for a deacon. And then verse 11, he sandwiches in. Oh, by the way, here's the qualifications for for a lady deacon. And then verse 12, he goes right back to where he was, adding more qualifications for the male deacon. Deacon. So that's just, that's just a question. It seems an unusual way of, of organizing it in Paul's mind. You think he might put it at the end or at the beginning or separate rather than sandwich in between the deacon's qualifications. Secondly, uh, why would the deaconesses have shorter qualifications than the men? Why would there only be a couple not being slanders, basically? Why would they have a much shorter qualification? than the men who are deacons. Uh, You know, I I lean, and our church has taken the position, we lean on the side of this. These are the wives of the deacons that's being mentioned here. And there's a reason for that. Deacons, and and I know we're we're unusual now. We have two men that are coming on that that don't have wives, even though there's a special, right? So two, but if they do have wives, okay, that's their qualification. And why that's important is because sometimes a lot of the ministry that the deacons do in the church require them to work with women in the church. Uh, and so this is one of the things we are have to be very careful with as we have our men who don't have wives. All those bases are covered in protection and all things being done properly and order and all that. So, but wives are oftentimes brought alongside deacon issues in the church. You know, there's a marriage that's having struggles and and you go in to help with the financial needs and and then the the wife is there to work with the wife, you know, and those kind of relationships. Uh, And because of that, the wives are privy to a lot of information about people and about their conditions and their suffering. And therefore, the requirement there for the wife is, you can't be a slander. You can't be a gossip. You have to be tight-lipped. So, when you're considering a, a deacon, make sure the deacon's wife, if she's married, if he's married, is a person who is known to be, have tight lips, that don't sink ships. <laughs> Not a slander. And then finally, then he goes back, he picks up in verse 12, and he adds more to the, to the, the deacon himself, the male, to be the husband of one wife, which to me is also the clincher, <laughs> the clincher on the wife versus the, the woman. He used to be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Do you want to know how a deacon is going to be a a leader in the church? Look how he leads his family. Look how he leads his wife. Look how he leads his children. Uh, Now, I want to close just by giving us a promise here because there's a promise that comes with this office. And I want David, if he's watching online, and Peter uh, to listen carefully to the promise of blessing that comes with this office. It's found in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, those who are faithful in carrying out this office of deacon, they have a good standing in the church. And that tells me that the church has a responsibility to make sure they are honoring the men who are serving well in the office of deacon. You gain the respect of this congregation. You gain the respect of, the, of God's people. And on, not only that, but a great confidence in the faith in Jesus Christ. That this, this brings assurance to your heart. It should encourage you. Because it gives you a greater love for Christ and a greater love for his people. That's a blessing. And then we get blessed too. The church gets blessed. This is really great. So if we have faithful deacons who are serving and, and carrying out this ministry in, in the church, look what happens to that church. It's biblically ordered. Verse 7 And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so when the church is properly organized with leadership, you have deacons who are carrying out love, ministries of compassion to the church and to others in the community. And, 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 And then the community around it looks at it and goes, wow, what's going on? God adds to that church. God grows that church. God brings increase to that church. God revives that kind of church. And I believe there's a breakthrough of what we see here as evangelistic power to that church. I'm thankful that God has called two men uh, to serve, to serve us as our first deacons here at Redeeming Grace Church. May uh, Pete and Dave be the first of many. May God call and some of you men here, to be added to the diaconate here at Redeeming Grace Church. We always have need for more elders. We always have need for more deacons. There's no limit. If you read our Constitution, it's not like, oh, i got to have seven or eight or nine or ten. I mean, if every man in this church was qualified and wanted to be a deacon, wouldn't it be great if every every man in the church was was a deacon in the church? Or uh, same with eldership, eldership. Uh, those who are qualified and meet, meet the qualifications and who desire that office. We're all servants, by the way. I just want to close by reminding us that because we have two new deacons, we can just say, okay, Pete, okay, Dave, have fun, take care of it. We're, we're off the hook. No, these men are leading, these men are structuring, these men are guiding, these men are creating ministries. These men are actually giving all of us more opportunity to do what? For us to serve. We need to be a serving body of Christ. And so we need to pray for them in the days ahead. And I'm excited that God has brought us to this point in the growth and development of Redeeming Grace Church. I want to be close by... And by the way, we got a unanimous response from all members of the church for these men. Uh, so I guess they all passed the test. But I'm going to ask Pete to come forward. I want to follow the example of uh, that first century church They put their hands on their first deacons and prayed and entrusted them and their ministry into, into the hands of God and His power and strength. You okay. Mhm. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Mind kneeling? Sure. When surgery? I don't know. Okay. I offered a chair for him. This guy's yeah, he, I'll he, kneel before This the is Lord. for Christ. <laughs> Gracious heavenly Father, we bow before you. Thanking you, Lord, for the work of grace you've done in this man's life. Lord, how you've taken a man from all the the sinful background that we have all experienced to the point of understanding and believing in Jesus Christ alone as his Savior and Lord. And Lord, we thank you that he's trusting in Jesus alone for his salvation, for his forgiveness. And Father, we also praise you that you're a God who didn't just leave him at forgiveness, but has been doing a work of grace in Pete's life. And you've been growing him and maturing him, not only in the knowledge of the truth, but living that truth out even before the eyes of all of us. We believe, Father, that because of your grace, he has been a faithful servant. He's been faithful to that which you have imparted to him. And so, Lord, we have received the blessing of his faithfulness. Lord, we pray now, Lord, as we, 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 we put hands on him, not to impart anything from us, and really not even to impart anything from you, but to affirm the calling that you have already brought into his life. We pray, Father, in the days ahead that you would fill him richly with your Spirit, we pray for Dave and for Pete that they'd be able to work together in unity and in harmony in a way that would further your gospel work here in Cody. We pray, Father, that you would give them vision. We pray, God, that you would give them, give them a, an understanding of, 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 of the needs, Lord, of our community and especially for our church. We also pray, Lord, that you would also give them a, a love for the congregation like they've never had before. That this would not be a duty, it would be a delight, Father, as they serve you. I pray, Father, that you would, would strengthen them for the, for the work that lies ahead. Lord, we look forward to Pete and Dave being the first of many. Lord, I know these, these formation stages that are about to take place and learning to work together, it's going to require help from you, help from above. And Lord, we pray that you would use them to build a strong diaconate that would strengthen your work here in Cody and bring a blessing to these people and a blessing to your community at large. In Jesus' precious name, and let's all join together and say amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave. I thought if you're going to be a table waiter, (laughs) you're going to need an apron. Well, thank you. I I, I was lacking one. I was lacking one. Thank you. You don't have to wear it every potluck, but every potluck, uh potluck does every other sounds good. Okay, Lord bless. Thank you.